Every one of us, when we were children, or if you are still a child, have your parents and other adults tell us no many times. All parents tell their children no, sometimes to protect them. You know, don't touch that hot stove. Can't run out in the street. Sometimes it's to protect others, like your pets. No, 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 it's not a good thing to beat on the dog. One writer said that if you had a dollar for every time your child asked you for something, you would have enough money to fund a presidential campaign. And that's probably true. And with all of those questions, at least some of the time, the answer to those questions is going to be no. Today we are finishing a three-week sermon series on perspectives on prayer. And prayer is more than asking, but it includes asking. And today we're looking at how God answers our prayers. And you may have heard that when we ask for things in our prayers, God can say yes, he can say wait, he can say no. God often says yes to our requests. The number of times that God says yes is actually mind-boggling if we would just remember how many times he says yes. A couple of times I have gone back and looked at our church prayer chain, which we do prayer requests via email, and the number of times God has said yes is just absolutely amazing for healing, for jobs, for relationships, for all kinds of things. God has said yes. Sometimes God says, wait, and often he does that by just not answering right away. And sometimes God says no, and that's our focus for today. And just like last week's topic, praying in the middle of suffering and difficulty is a very necessary one, but not popular. This again is one that's necessary, but not all that popular. And in our verses today, which Jesse already mentioned, God says no to Paul's request. So let's read together from the screen, remain seated, and let's read 2 Corinthians 12, verses 7 to 10. Let's read. So to keep me from being too elated by the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to harass me, to keep me from being too elated. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weaknesses. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I know Jesse gave a little background. Let me give just a little bit more to help us make sense of what is going on in this situation with Paul. You look at the, as you read the two letters that Paul wrote to the, the church at Corinth, you can tell very clearly that they are messed up, just like the rest of us. We all have problems. We all have our weaknesses and sin areas and and other things. From what we can tell, here's the basic sequence of Paul's interaction with the church at Corinth. He is in Corinth for about a year and a half, which is one of the longest times he's at in one particular place. He continues then on his missionary journeys. He writes the letter we call 1 Corinthians. At some point, he apparently visits Corinth. 
for at least a brief time, and then he writes this second letter that we have. And Paul wants these Christians in Corinth to grow in, their character of, in the character of Jesus. And they are. But as we've talked in our sermons over the years, you know that growing as a Christian means putting off and putting on because we're born with a nature that naturally turns away from God, doesn't believe God, doesn't want to listen to Him. And so we're putting off those ways and learning to put on <clears throat> ways where we do listen, we do follow, and uh, we do submit to God. But another part of us as being humans that's true is that we often hold on to values of the world. And when you look at the situation in 2 Corinthians, it appears that in particular, the Corinthian Christians are holding on to power and success. They like those. They think they're good and important. And so there are some traveling religious teachers that have come, and they're in Corinth, and some of the, the Christians there in the church are infatuated with them. They think, these guys are wonderful. They are so eloquent and speak well, and they have great stage presence. They're very willing to take money from the Corinthians, which actually the Corinthians think that's a good thing. And they're also boasting about themselves. And from what I can tell, in that day, if you were successful, that is one of the things you did. You, didn't, you weren't quiet about your wealth and success. You let other people know. You dressed it. You had the following of other people with you to help people see that you had that success. You were boasting about it. Now, these same Christians that are so impressed with these guys look at Paul and they say, oh, my goodness, look at the difference. He doesn't speak eloquently. He doesn't have this great following. He's not taking any of our He didn't take our money. He actually was working with his hands. If you think power and success is important, you are not going to be there supporting yourself working with your hands. You're going to have other people working for you. And so, again, that's a mark against him. Paul is actually modeling Jesus' self-giving love, and Paul is boasting not in himself but in Jesus. So he's, in a sense, arguing with these Corinthians, say, all right, these guys might look impressive to you, but they're not pointing you to Jesus. They're not helping you grow spiritually. What I'm telling you, I am, I'm beating on you a little bit here because I love you, and I want you to see what's really going on. And so in, in chapter 12, Paul is defending his, his ministry and himself, and he says, look, guys, you have driven me to boast. I wasn't going to do it, and I don't like it. And if you actually read the chapter, you'll see that he doesn't like to boast. He talks about how God gave him a vision of heaven. And he talks about himself in the third person. There was a man, and God gave him this vision of heaven. Now, imagine if that was you or me, and God gave you a vision of heaven. One, our words would not be able to express it because heaven is so much greater and better and wonderful than the best that you can experience here on earth. But there's a, there's a tendency we have as humans to do something. We can take anything good that God has given us and we can twist it and mess it up. And so if you and I had that vision, at some point we're going to start thinking, well, did God give anybody else that vision? No? Oh, 
oh, God gave me the vision, but he didn't give it to you? Oh, poor you. You've missed out on so much. God really must like me. And so the temptation for pride is right there with us always. And so that brings you to verses 7 and 10, 7 to 10, where Paul says, God gave me this vision, but then he gave me a thorn in the flesh to keep Paul from pride. Now, we don't know what it was. There has been a lot of speculation, a lot of speculation as to what it was. But one thing that you can tell that it really bothered Paul, it was not a, this was not a small thing. You know it's not a small thing because Paul didn't just ask God to, to get relief. He begged him. He pleaded with him three times, please take it away. And God's response, no, I will not. I won't take it away. My grace is sufficient. I will be with you. Paul's response is really amazing. To paraphrase, he says, okay, I'm good with that. Let's keep going, God. Okay? I will boast in my weakness so that Jesus' power can be seen in me. I'm okay with weaknesses and insults because when I'm weak in myself, then I am strong in Jesus. That is so counterintuitive to us. We wouldn't do that. Now, just as a note, all of us boast. Some people are very loud and proud about their boasting. You know it. And there's also another thing about boasting. We don't like it in others. But even if we're not loud and proud, we're still doing it quiet and subtle. So the question isn't, do I, and, or you know, if I am, but what am I boasting in? And you see Paul's change in one of his other letters, he says, you, you, you want to see my, my uh, resume? And, and Jesse was going through some of that. I'm a Hebrew. I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a Pharisee. I am, I'm, I'm at the top of the heap, religiously. And he says, but I throw it all away because I'm going to boast in Jesus. Well, that takes us to our sermon outline. And today, this morning, I'm going to look at the nature of prayer, look at some examples of God saying no, look at why God says no, focusing on ourselves, why God says no, focusing on God, and then responding when God says no. Now, that's a lot of territory to cover. And let me just say this. If, if a friend of yours was in this place where God had said no, and they're hurting you don't take all of this and just list it out for them. You just comfort them. And maybe there is one point in this that you could share. But what I'm doing is, what I'm hoping to do is give you resources to think about for the Holy Spirit to, to work on you and in you because there are times where God says no. And if you've already had this, uh, been exposed to this, then the Spirit can take some of this and help you when that time comes and when you are hurting to help give us perspective. So let's talk a minute about the nature of prayer, and I want to begin by saying what prayer is not. And the first three are all related. Prayer is not a way to get God to like you. It's not a way to impress God, and it's not a way to manipulate God into giving you what you want. In Matthew 6, 
just before Jesus gives us his model prayer, he says, the Gentiles think that they will be heard for their many words. That's another way of saying those three things. That if I say, if I'm religious enough, and if I'm earnest enough in my prayer, if I say it often enough, of course God, whichever God is going to be impressed, um, at least I'm hoping he's going to be impressed and then give me what I want. Prayer is also not me informing God about my life. The thinking goes something like this. If I don't tell, what God, uh, tell God what's going on in my life, he might not know. He might be busy with others. And I've heard people say this, for sure. Oh, God, oh, you know, he's involved a little in the world, but only in the big stuff. And so if you think he's only involved in the big stuff, yet you want him to help you, sometimes we talk to God and say, all right, God, here's what's going on, because I want you to know what's going on, because I'm going to ask you for something, and I want you to say yes. Prayer is not more acceptable in King James English or in one language over another. And then finally, prayer is not a means to a mystical experience. That's actually using prayer and, in a sense, trying to use God for my own benefit. Here are two things prayer is. It is part of a relationship with God. God call, tells every Christian that not only are we his children, but we are his beloved children, that he loves us, that he's committed to love us and he will never stop. And just as we have experienced children depend on their parents, we were made by God to depend on God all the time, not just for the big things, but daily in the little things as well. And what you see out of this is that God is not a reluctant participant in his relationship with us. When you look at, you've ever heard somebody ask the question, or say you have your relationship, you and God, and you seem distant, who moved? It wasn't God. It's us, because we turn away so easy. God's the one who pursues us. So God doesn't have to be persuaded to listen to us. He doesn't have to be convinced to give us good things. He delights in his children. There's one other part about this relationship I don't want to mention, and that is that part of a good, healthy relationship with anyone is the freedom to say no. If you have a relationship with someone and they will never let you say no, that is not a healthy relationship. They're actually using you. And so there has to be that freedom to say no. But secondly, prayer is a conversation with God. So in a conversation, one person speaks, the other one listens, and then you go back and forth. So when we have a conversation with God, we speak to Him, and then we listen. Now here's where it's different from a regular conversation. We can listen either to God's Word or to His Spirit. Because He tells us that when God begins a relationship with us and makes us a Christian, He puts His Spirit in us, and His Spirit talks to us. Now, I don't know about you, but there have been times where I wish God would speak audibly. That's, one time, that's been a time where He's consistently said, no, He doesn't, but He still does speak to us. Also, in a, in a relationship and in a conversation, you can ask and the other person will respond. So one example would be us asking God to act and God responds through circumstances. And he does that. But he doesn't always respond right away. He doesn't always respond fully. Here are some examples of God saying no in the Bible. First one, Moses wanted to go into the land of Canaan, 
God had chosen Moses to lead the people of Israel. He was the one that spoke to Pharaoh that got them out of Egypt and out of slavery. God used Moses to lead the people for 40 years in the desert, and it was 40 years because of the people's rebellion against God and complaining. And Moses wanted to be the one to lead them into the promised land, but God said no. Instead, what God did is he took Moses right up to the edge of the land, up on a mountain, and he let him look at the land to see what was there. But he said, you're not going to go in. Another example is David. Once he's king and he's established uh, himself in the city of Jerusalem, he's talking to Nathan, who's the prophet of God, and he says to Nathan, why should I live in a nice house and, and God's still be in, a, in a, his ark and everything still be in a temple, in a, in a tabernacle, a tent? And to paraphrase Nathan, Nathan said, whatever you want to do, go for it. Well, that night God comes to Nathan in a dream and says, I have a different answer for, for David. Go tell him. So in the morning he went and he said, okay, David, uh, Nathan's told him, I, God came to me and here's his answer to you. It's a really great thing to want to build a, a temple. I've never had one and I don't need one now. So the answer is no, you won't but your son will. Then twice for Paul, once on a missionary journey, he's uh, visiting towns, starting churches. He's in what's in modern-day Turkey. He wants to go to Asia, and God says no. Turns him the other direction, goes west to Philippi, Thessalonica, and Corinth. And there are churches. There were churches started in each of those places. There are letters written to two of those places. All three? All three. Then we just looked at Paul and his thorn. The other one I want to mention is God the Father saying no to Jesus' request in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's there. He's had the Last Supper. He knows that before sundown the next day, he's going to be dead, that he will have been crucified. And he knows the pain that's coming, not just the physical pain, but also the pain of God punishing him when he takes our sins on himself. And he says, let this cup pass from me, please. When he's talking about the cup, he's talking about the suffering. But he doesn't just say that. He also says, your will be done. Because he knows, because he had agreed with God the Father before he created the world that he was going to come as a human and he was going to be there in that garden that night that he was going to die the next day. And that that was the only way that you and I would have any hope of any rescue of being adopted by God and loved by God was for him to die that way. One other little thing. It's not a no, it's a long wait, but you'll see how it, I think you'll see how it ties together, and that's Abraham. If you read the, the book of Genesis and do the math, Abraham is 75 years old when God comes to him, begins a relationship, and makes some promises. And one of those promises that was that your wife Sarah is going to give you a son. God made them wait for 25 years. And they had, a, they had a sure promise from God that it was going to happen. He still made them wait. That's a long time to wait. For you and I, we don't have those direct promises. And so when we ask for something and we don't get an answer, sometimes we don't know. Is it a wait or a no? We're, we're not sure yet. Point number three, why God says no, focusing on us. Sometimes when we ask God for things and, and he says no, he says no because we've asked with selfish desires, wrong desires. 
because every part of us is corrupted. And he's not going to do that. This reminds us that when you think about spiritually, uh, what, where's the greatest danger to you and me? It's not the people outside of us. It's not the temptations outside of us. It's actually me. You and I are the greatest danger to ourselves, our own selfishness. And then another thing that we'll do in terms of wrong desires is that we will ask God for something to support our own desire for autonomy and self-sufficiency. Now, it's been a few years, but I remember praying a prayer just like this. God, if you would only change me this way, then I could do life on my own. What's the matter, God? God said no. And I'm very glad he did say no to that. Sometimes God says no because when we're asking, we're asking out of limited knowledge. We're, we're human. There's things we don't know. In fact, the more that we learn, the more we learn that we don't know. I remember talking to my, one of my brothers who got his Ph.D. in biochemistry, and after he got his degree, he was working in a lab for a few years on cancer research. And doctors already know that something happens to a cell to make it cancerous, and when it goes cancerous, it goes crazy. And what they were trying to do was actually find at the cellular level what actually happened. They were still looking when he left and ended up moving on to another job doing things. Sometimes God says no because what we've asked for, we don't have an understanding of God's plan for us, which in one sense is not surprising because in Deuteronomy 29, 29, God says the secret things belong to him. The things he's revealed, those are ours. So he doesn't promise that he's going to tell us in advance all that's going to happen. Kind of related to that, sometimes when we pray, we have a misunderstanding of God's good for us, what he's doing. And this ties especially into last week looking at suffering and difficulties. Because our natural response is to think that whatever suffering or difficulty isn't a good thing, and so, of course, God wants to get me out of it. Sometimes he does, and sometimes he does not. If you've ever heard the, the story of Johnny Erickson Tata, she was 17 years old. She was a potential Olympic equestrian, that is, doing uh, horse riding. She was swimming in the Chesapeake Bay with a family member and um, had an accident and broke her neck, paralyzed from the neck down. For the next two years, she prayed, God, would you miraculously heal me and restore my body? And God said no. But if you look at what God did with her and through her, he used her to start a group called Johnny and Friends that has touched tens of thousands of lives all around the world, people with both physical and mental disabilities, and she has shared the love of God with them in different ways. And then finally, one other thought. Sometimes when we ask for something, God says no because we underestimate our own selfish nature. We think we're stronger than we are. We think we're smarter than we are. Last week I mentioned 1 Corinthians 10.13 where God says he won't allow us to be tempted beyond what you're able. And sometimes when we ask for something, God says, look, I know what you asked for. Do you know what? 
you can't handle it. And because I love you, because I made that promise, I'm going to say no. Briefly, looking at why God says no, focusing on God. And all of these overlap. God says no to us at times, well, not times, all the time, because he loves us when he does say no. Because he knows that what we're asking for isn't the best for us. God is all wise. In his, in his wisdom, he knows what we need, and he knows when we need it. So maybe we're asking for something, and he says no now, but he's going to give it to us at a different time or in a different way. God is all good, which is a way of saying he's perfect. And God can't go against his character. So because he loves us and because he's good, if what we're asking for isn't good for us, he's not going to do that. Though occasionally, I just want to add this point in. Occasionally, God does say yes for something that he knows is going to end up hurting us. Because we are so persistent and go after it and go after it. God says, okay, all right, let's see what happens here. It, you know, sometimes parents do that with children. Try to be very careful when you do that um, because you realize that's the only way they're going to learn. And so sometimes God will do that with us. God is all-knowing. He knows the end from the beginning. He's never surprised about things. God is also working for his glory and our good, and the two are related. You cannot disconnect them. God isn't working for his good at our expense. He's working for our good and for his glory. And then point number five, responding when God says no. God is perfect and we are not. We're limited. We're corrupted. And so there will be times when God says no to a request of ours. One current example. Many people have been praying that God would stop the pandemic. And God has not. He has his reasons. He has his plans. He is good in what he does. There are times that, that we have prayed and people have prayed for healing, for relationships, for jobs. And again, you look at the prayer chain over and over and over again, God has said yes. But there are times where God says no. So how will you and I respond when God does say no? I want to start with two questions. If God says no, has he stopped loving us? The answer is no. But Satan will whisper in your ear. In fact, he will yell. Well, of course he has. If he loved you, he'd really give you this thing you wanted. And the second one's related. If God says no, is he doing it because he's punishing me? Again, the answer is no to every Christian, but Satan's going to be saying, yes, of course. Of course, you know what? You didn't realize it, but that last time you lied or you were unkind to that person, you didn't know it, but that was the last straw. Okay, and you're, on, you're in God's doghouse now, and you're going to stay there for a long time. You're not going to find that in the Bible anywhere. Yet we hear it at times, and we think it at times. No. It's not punishment, because Jesus took on himself all the punishment that every Christian deserves, and so there's no more punishment for that for Christians left. There is still training, and there's still discipline, which is going to involve some no's, but it's not punishment. 
And this next section I want to call some self-talk. These are things that you and I need to tell ourselves when God says no. First, look at all of God's promises. They, some of, they, they are amazing what God promises to do for us and how he promises to love us and care for us. Second, re remind yourself, remember all the ways that God has said yes to your requests. And actually, this is a good, uh, this is a good place to plug doing a prayer journal if you want to actually keep track of how God answers and does things. But then look at all the ways that God has done good to us when we didn't even ask. I mean, every day is a gift. Every breath is a gift. The health that we have is a gift. Everything good that we have is a gift from God. And we didn't ask for all of it. Much of it he just gave to us. And then remember that all of the time, no gaps, no exceptions, God is working for our good and his glory. And then remember that our view of life is limited. God's isn't. God has a plan that he's working, and he's wise. We're not, not on our own. So then you, you come right down to it when he has said no. Ask yourself this, am I going to choose to trust you, God? Because it is a choice. Am I going to choose to trust you? Will I obey you? Will I submit to you? Or, like I talked about in the last couple of weeks, instead of holding my, my desire in an open hand, I'm going to close my fist around it. Say, God, I want it. If he says no, are we going to pout? Now, you'd think that as adults we don't do that, but we do. We do. Okay? Children are just more obvious about it. Okay? You know, sometimes when a child is told no, what do they do? They throw a temper tantrum. What are they trying to do? They are trying to punish, put it in quotes, their parents. You, you, you're you're going to make my life miserable? I'm going to make yours miserable. Try that with God. See who wins. Okay? We don't win when we do that. Just as there are times where a good parent is going to say no to their child's request, there are times where God, because he is good and perfect and loving, will say no to ours. Well, let me finish with, with this prayer that God loves to say yes to again and again. God, will you give me more of you? Will you give me more of you? Would you help me to see more clearly who you are, how you're working in the world, how you're working in my life? Help me to see, because God himself is the best gift he could ever give us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that in your love and in your goodness, there are times you tell us no. But Lord, help us to see all the times you say yes. Help us to see all the ways that you give us good things. Help us to see how you give us you. And then strengthen us. Lord, would you help us to trust you as Paul did, so that we can say, in this circumstance where things are hard, life is difficult, I'm hurting, yet here I can trust you, here I can rest, because you are good. And then as we looked at last week, the difficulties we have now, one day they will be gone, and we'll see you face to face, and it will be a distant memory, all of the things, that the difficulties we had here on earth. Thank you for your promises. 
pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.